Welcome to the Wake Up Your Warrior podcast with me, Christine Cohen. Every week, we will share conversations with humans whose lives have been transformed by the power of movement on their mental health, break down the latest neuroscience, and hopefully inspire you to wake up your inner warrior to fight for the best versions of you every single day. Let's get into today's episode. Hey, Warriors, welcome back to another episode. I have a very special guest today that I can't wait to introduce you to and for you to hear her story. Liz Thompson has been one of my very special clients for the last four years, but our relationship has been completely virtual. We connected over Instagram through ballroom dancing, initially back when I was taking ballroom lessons in New York City in 2014. And we've actually only met in person once when Liz came to New York City to compete in a smooth ballroom competition a few years ago. Liz is going to share her story with you about how her struggle with social anxiety and PTSD after serving as a combat paratrooper in Afghanistan were impacted for the better through dancing competitive ballroom. Our conversation is incredibly genuine, eye-opening, and her story is very inspiring for me on many levels. She's going to take you through some really beautiful ways of being human and share how this was not an overnight process, but one that has transformed her life. I'm so honored to introduce my friend, Liz Thompson. I would just love for you to kind of just kick it off with like, what is your favorite way to move your body? I have a few, but I would have to say that my absolute favorite is ballroom dancing, which I think is how you and I met, right? Yeah. You reached out to me on Instagram. Yeah. Yeah. But, but I think you friend requested me, didn't you? I might have friend requested you because I was ballroom dancing at the time, mm-hmm. just baby beginner in New York. And I probably was looking to connect with other ballroom dancers on Instagram. Yeah. Um, and then I just remember we just started DMing each other. Yeah. So I'm, I'm pretty sure I, re- I remember getting your friend request and I was like, who's this? And then I looked at your page and I saw some dancing stuff and I was like, oh, okay. Yeah, sure. Why not? Right. And then some time passed and I saw that you worked out. And I was like, oh, awesome. A ballroom dancer and she works out because that's, you know, that too is what I enjoy. And uh, at some point, uh, I started to get a little more serious with competitions and stuff. And I knew that my body needed to change. And I saw some of the things that you were doing. And I saw how vulnerable you were with mental illness issues and and I thought it was the coolest and I was like okay I I need to reach out and that was when I think it was just before you started the warrior workouts or right when you started it and that's what got me than I do yeah no I mean not yet (laughs) not yet but but yes that's how we we that's how we initially kicked it off and then I remember you being like yeah you train me virtually Yeah, I really like the style of training that you do. And since Mm -hmm. you have the knowledge of ballroom and lifting, and that's a really great combination. Right. Because it's really difficult to find a trainer who understands that dancers have different needs. 
And so you can't just go just to any regular trainer who's, you know, into weightlifting and all that. There are certain things that we need, right? So, right. Yeah. So let's back it up a little bit. How did you get into ballroom dancing? Oh man, that is, that is a long story. Um, Let's hear it. Bring it. I'll try not to make it too long. So I'm a combat veteran, which, you know, I served in Afghanistan and I was a combat medic and paratrooper. And, um, when I got out, I struggled with PTSD and I got to the point where I essentially hit rock bottom. And I knew that I was going to become a statistic if I didn't do anything to change it. Um, so I went to the VA, but the VA was not very helpful. No offense to the VA. I currently work for the VA. They just, unfortunately, you know, it's, it's the government and it's a huge corporation. And so it was more about pushing medications than it was to actually treat the symptoms at the time. I feel like now they're getting a lot better with their treatment and actually focusing on cognitive behavioral therapy and, and different options. Right. But, but back then it was all about meds and I knew that I didn't want to do that. I knew that it wouldn't help whatever was going on, that it would only treat it temporarily. So what were you looking for at that point? Was it like, you just didn't want something that would cover the symptoms of it? Um, yeah. Where you were just looking for something that would help more long-term and that wasn't well, what you were I- going to get. I wanted to find the root of the cause and I kind of, you know, having worked in the medical field, yes, medications are helpful, but a lot of times we end up masking things with treatment, with certain types of treatment, right? Like when you have an aching muscle and you put some Bengay on it, okay, it relieves some of the symptoms, but you don't really target what's actually causing that aching muscle, right? So I I don't know that I knew exactly what I was looking for. I just knew that it wasn't that. And I didn't want to sit down in an office and just talk to somebody about my problem. You know, I, I'm not good when, when, some, when someone asks me like, so tell me how you're feeling. Well, what kind of question, is, how am I feeling? I'm not feeling well. That's why I'm coming to you, right? Like, I don't know. And anyway. Um, let me, let me so when did you serve? What were the years that you served? I served from January of 2002 to November of 2005. So almost four years. And then you came back and you immediately came back to California? No. So I, let's see, I got out of Afghanistan in August of 2003. And then I was stationed in Fort Bragg, North Carolina. Um, for about a year after deployment. And then um, I did end up moving to California probably at the beginning of 2005. And I worked as a recruiter. And so I finished my contract in California, in Yuba City, as a recruiter. And when did you notice symptoms of PTSD beginning? It took a while. Um, so it wasn't looking- like right away. No. Well, for me to notice, right. Other people, I was with somebody at the time and they told me that they thought I had PTSD and I was in denial for a very, very long time. 
Um, I think the first time that I finally came to terms with it was about like 2007 or 2008. So that was like two or three years after I got out. Wow. I think that's so important also for people to hear. I love um, just like the distinction. Yeah. How maybe other people saw it, but you were not ready to see it. What was it that finally shifted that for you? Um, that's kind of a hard question. I'm not sure. I think it was just like an accumulation of just noticing these, these outbursts, these mood changes. And, and I would get so like, I mean, there was like, you know, I'm a female, but man, there was a lot of rage, you know, and I would just like in an instant, I would flip out and I didn't know why or why something so small would, would make me flip out or get me so angry. And, um, and I, I think I noticed that I was losing control of certain things in my life. So like relationships or, um, you know, didn't quite know what I wanted to do with myself, like just a bunch of things that piled up that finally made me, you know, start to look into it a little bit more. That must have felt really heavy. Like I can just see yeah. like your face when you're just like putting yourself back there. gets really. Yeah, it was it was rough. It was, it was really rough because you don't know what's going on, you know, and and you can't understand it. And at that point, at least in my situation, I didn't believe that I had PTSD. I didn't know what it was, but I was like, no, I can't have PTSD. I don't have this. Did you believe that it was common for soldiers coming back from combat to struggle with PTSD, to experience it? Was that something that you had at least knowledge of? back then or were you just totally unawares well you hear about it right you hear about like the vietnam vets who come back with shell shock or you know you you hear about it so it wasn't anything foreign to me i just didn't think that i was one of them yeah like just you know i think that's i i feel like i experienced that too just in my own um struggle was like you could see other people or you can you know that it's something people can experience depression, anxiety is mm-hmm. what I'm speaking about specifically, but to believe that you're experiencing that and mm-hmm. um, accept that, that was really hard for me too. There mm-hmm. was a fear there for me to accept it because then it was real mm-hmm. and then I could do something about it. And that was terrifying. Yeah. Did you experience any of that? Yeah. And definitely, um, you know, especially after having been in the military where any kind of uh, complaint, I guess, is seen as weakness. And in, in my mind, I guess I just thought that I was being weak. Like, no, no, I know that I'm strong. I know that I, you know, I can handle a lot. And so to admit to myself that I couldn't, I think was the hardest part. Have you always had that mentality even before you went into the military? Just about like, I can handle things. I'm strong. Whatever happens, I'll figure it out. I think so. I think that that's been a part of me. I think that's something that my mom always tried to encourage, you know, but it got even stronger um, when I went through the military, you know, when you go through basic training and you go through all of the other stuff, like, you know, I was a paratrooper. Um, The amount of females who become paratroopers is pretty small. Like, you know, we were in a battalion of like a thousand and maybe 40 of us were females. Wow. For for the airborne training. 
That's incredible. Yeah. I don't think I even realized that. Yeah. Specific. Yeah. Did you um, ever experience any sort of anxiety, depression, anything like that before experiencing the PTSD? Like when you were younger, anything like that? Do you remember? That's so hard to, I mean, probably, you know, I think, I think the first time that I experienced some depression was, you know, when you fall in love for the first time and that, and then that relationship goes sour, I, you know, my first love really took a hit like, yeah. Um, but other than that, no. So your like experience of the mental health world and what it was 20 years ago was even drastically different than, Oh yeah. You know, people being more open to it, being somewhat normal for most people to have a therapist or to be on some sort of medication or to discuss that they're on it. Yeah. And even just like talking about mental health on a daily basis feels more common now in a good way Mm -hmm. than it did five years ago. So what do you see? Well, before we jump into that, what, after you kind of came to terms with, okay, this is something that I'm struggling with Mm -hmm. and this isn't me. I need help for this. Mm -hmm. We reached out to a few different resources. That's where you kind of left off. Um, so what happened oh, that? right, right. Okay. So, uh, reached out to the VA and it wasn't very helpful and I didn't, I wasn't ready to see a therapist at that point. I didn't want to sit down and talk. Right. So, um, the very first thing that I did, well, obviously I decided to take matters into my own hands. And, um, the very first question that I asked myself was when was the last time that you felt happy? And that was one of the hardest questions that I had to answer. Like, I couldn't remember. I could not remember, you know? So I started thinking, okay, what made me happy yesterday? Nothing. A week ago, nothing. A month ago, nothing. A year ago, nothing. And, and that's when things just started to hit, right? Like, oh crap. Like I've, I've got a much deeper issue. I had to work my way all the way back to childhood cartoons. Cartoons made me happy. Great. What else? Legos, coloring books. So I went out, I got Legos, I got coloring books and I watched cartoons. And you did that on your own. Like you had the intuition to go, to trace it all the way back to the last thing that you could remember that made you happy and go out and get that thing. Uh That's amazing. Yeah. Looking at it now, I'm like, holy crap. You know, obviously I'm sure there was some sort of of guidance there, you know, <laughs> indirect guidance that was being totally uh, delivered. Right. Totally. I can't, yeah, I, I cannot like so take insightful. the credit for that. Yeah. Um, but yeah. And how old are you at this point? I was 28 or so, 27, 28, something like that. Okay. Yeah. So you go out and you get the lat and you buy the thing that you can remember made you happy last. Yes. And coloring books. Yeah. And I kept doing it for a while. And then I started to work my way up the years. You know, I worked through that's, that's what like elementary school, right? So then I started thinking about junior high and I made my way up to high school. In high school, um, I was, I was part of a swing dance club that I started because I loved swing dancing so, so much back then. Uh, Lindy Hop in particular. For those so who don't like, know what Lindy Hop is, can you just like give a little context? Give a little like um, maybe even like a music 
genre? I mean, it's like, it's, you know, it's all 40s big band stuff. So like, if you've seen A League of Their Own, right? The, that's the what they're doing? In, yeah, in the bar when, when Madonna's character is dancing, that's Lindy Hop. That's She's Lindy. getting whipped around and stuff. They do, they all, do some- I love yeah. that movie. <laughs> it's so good. A League of Their Own, if you haven't seen it, must see. Um, yeah. The scene. Yeah, so, yep, that's what she's doing, Lindy Hop. And then some Jitterbug and, and Lindy Hop. It's all kind of one and the same, just different uh, patterns. Um, so then, so that took a while. This this didn't happen in like a few days or months. Like this, this happened over a span of a couple of years um, because I think it was like, I think it was about 30 when I, when I walked into the studio for the first time, a dance studio. So, so that was when I was like, okay, I need to, I need to get back into dancing. I got to figure out how to do this. And I saw an ad for, you know, all the studios have their promos, like come in and get a free, you know, 20 minute lesson and whatever. Right. So, um, I ended up, this was at the time when like dancing with the stars were, was super huge. And I was watching that show a lot. And I, I remember I was cashing. I worked the night shift and I was getting off of work and I was putting my paycheck into the bank. Right. Cause I didn't have direct deposit back then. Right. Of course. At that time, at that time. And the ATM, it was a drive-in or drive-through ATM. And the way that the car was facing, I could see the rest of the shopping center. And directly in front of me was Cheryl Burke Dance Studios. I was like, Cheryl Burke, why does that sound familiar? Uh, Cause it's the lady from Dancing with the Stars, mm -hmm. right? So then I, I drive over there and I see the promotion. I'm like, okay, all right, I'm gonna think about this. I'm gonna, you know, cause I also had social anxiety, right? So that made things really, really tough. Um, so I get back to the house and then I decide, okay, I'm going to Google this. So I Google it, look at the studio, and then they advertised on their webpage that they did Lindy Hop. And I was like, well, shoot, there you go. Okay, guess I'm going to do this, right? Got to put my, my big girl pants on and, and try to get myself into the studio. So <laughs> my Lindy Hop shoes on, get myself to that studio. Yeah. That's kind of amazing. It's, That's not one of the most popular, even one of the most more popular social dances. Like I feel no. like I don't see that discussed they were on no. you know offered no well they don't tend to advertise it much yeah mm -hmm. um so obviously this was meant to be yeah this is the universe coming to well you. so well so get this right i show up right thinking i'm gonna dance some lindy hop and i get there it, and it took me a long time to be able to to work up the courage to get into the studio because of the social anxiety right so i get there and the woman at the front desk, super nice, but she was like, you know, I'm sorry, we don't have anybody here who can teach Lindy Hop right now, but hey, since you're already here, do you want to try some ballroom? Sure. Okay. Why not? Right. I, I already, I put so much effort into just getting here. I can't just leave at this point. Mm -hmm. So I took some, some ballroom intro classes, whatever, or within that one lesson. And I ended up walking out with the whole package of lessons they got me <laughs> they got you good do you remember what ballroom dance they had you do or did you do a mix or we did a few so I think we did some foxtrot 
We did some East Coast swing. Pretty sure we did the waltz and cha-cha. And, and all of them, I was able to keep up pretty well. You know, I wasn't like stumbling too much. I was, it was easy for me to um, pick up the basic and at least stay on time with the basic with my, my leader. Um, and but you had no experience with those dances before the day that you walked? No, no. The closest thing was East Coast Swing, because that's pretty similar to single time swing and jitterbug and all that. So with that one, I was like, oh, yeah, okay, I can do this. Right? The other ones, it took a minute, but yeah. So at that point, where were you in your like PTSD? What would you describe them as? Um, like, what would you describe it as like, a, like an outburst? Or would you describe it as just like a heightened symptom? Or like how, when, and how was that showing up in your life? You know, a couple years into you realizing I need to do something about this. You mean like my, my emotional? Yeah. Like you mentioned, like you're like, you sort of had a hairline tri- trigger for yeah exploding. Yeah. Um, I think that stayed for a while. Um, it was just, I'm trying to think. Um, were there any other things that were, that you were noticing as now you're like, oh, there's something here that came out as well? Oh yeah. Sleeping. Mm-hmm. sleeping was a, was a big issue. And that was why I actually ended up working the night shift because that's the only way that I'd be able to get some sleep during the day because I'd be too tired. Right. Like if I'd work all night, I would know that I would at least be exhausted enough to get some sleep and you never get good sleep when you work night shifts because it's, you know, the complete opposite of what you're supposed to do, right. Your circadian rhythm and all that. Um, but also because everybody is awake during the day. So it's really hard to get a quiet environment. You can put on noise cancellation, headphones, whatever, but it's still, it doesn't, it doesn't. It's not happen. the same as sleeping at night. Yeah. But so, you, but because was it just like not being able to fall asleep, just kind of insomnia? That was the main thing. It kind of, it varied. Uh, there would be times where I wouldn't want to fall asleep. I could fall asleep, but I wouldn't want to because of the, the nightmares, right? Or when I did fall asleep, I wouldn't be able to stay asleep because of the nightmares. And eventually it just became a pattern mm-hmm. where I didn't necessarily have to have a nightmare to either not want to fall asleep or to wake up in the middle of my sleep. It was just happening. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And I think the first time that I finally realized that a lot of my symptoms were because of the lack of sleep besides the PTSD um, was when it was later on, like this was maybe about, I don't know, five years ago where um, I did try medication at some point, um, but I didn't like it, but there, there was something helpful that came from it. Um, I was given trazodone and I don't know if, if you know much about trazodone, but trazodone is meant for like anxiety and it's meant to relax you some. It's not, it's not a heavy drug. Um, it, it's not something that, um, you will become addicted to or anything like that. It's something that was given to me as needed. And I think I, I tried it out for about a month and then realized I didn't need it anymore after that, but it was really helpful in showing me how much my body needed sleep because the first time that I took it, 
I just like my body was finally like, oh my God, thank you. And I was able to relax and I was able to get sleep. And I think it, it took about maybe two weeks where my body fully recovered. I just felt like I was sleeping so much all day, just, you know, recovering. It didn't feel like the depressive sleep that you go through, right? You know, like when you just want to sleep all the time because you're right. And like no sleep is ever enough. It yeah. wasn't like that. It wasn't like that. It was just like, wow, I really like the this. first drink of water that you yes. <laughs> yeah. But for sleep. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And then that was, as far as my symptoms go and my emotional outbursts, that was when a lot of the things started to like calm down. Wow. That's so amazing. I mean, it never mm-hmm. ceases to amaze me how powerful sleep is and mm-hmm. don't even realize like all the things that it does for us. But when you do see that difference and the main thing was because you were able to sleep yeah, and even that you were able to feel more like yourself. Yeah. That must've been such a relief to you. Number one. Yeah. yeah. I mean, it didn't get, it, it didn't get rid of the problem, right? Like I still had the emotional outburst, but, mm-hmm. but there were a lot of things that just kind of calmed down a bit, mm-hmm. you know, and obviously the PTSD was still an issue and it was still there and still poking at me, but it wasn't as bad. Right. It wasn't like getting exacerbated. Mm-hmm. So when was the first time that you connected your mental health to movement, to dancing? Hmm. I think it was a gradual process. So it, um, I'm trying to think back the first time. Okay. So when I started taking those ballroom classes, um, I didn't take them to be a competitive dancer. I just took them just to learn. Right. And they, a lot of studios tend to have um, these weekly parties that you show up to and, you know, dance with other people. And uh, they kept telling me about it, but I never wanted to go because there were so many people and I didn't know them. And, you know, the anxiety just kicked in, right? Every time they they asked me to go. Um, I feel that anxiety too. Yeah. Being asked to go, I'm like, then I'm going to have to dance with people. Mm -hmm. And I'm not as good as them. And I'm going to talk to people and I don't know them. It's going to be awkward. And like yeah. the whole point is to obviously go and practice your dancing. Right. Everyone's a beginner, except right. for the teachers that are dragging you out onto the floor. But yeah, I can totally relate to that. Yeah. Yeah. So I think, I think the first time that I noticed it was when I went to the first party, I didn't dance that much, but just being in the environment and, you know, I, I must've danced maybe like three times, right? It's not enough to get me exhausted is what I'm trying to say. When I got home that night, I just like crashed on my bed and just like passed out for the night. And I was, I was done. I was so tired. And I was like, wow, like this, obviously I need to do this. I need to do this to work on my social anxiety. So that was the first start, the first step. So I started going to these parties and struggling with the same thing, social anxiety and all that. And I've got to say that I was really lucky because the people who were going to the studio at the time, I think some of them were aware of my situation and they were super encouraging. And, and I think, again, like I said, I, th- I think I just got super lucky. I just had the right group of people around me to 
get me through, you know, those tough moments. Um, Were they just welcoming? Like how, in what way did they help you through those tough moments? You know, it was just like, they went out of their way to, you know, come and talk to me and, and ask me to dance. And these, I'm not talking about the instructors, right? The instructor, that's part of their job, right? But like just the, you know, the other students that were going and, you know, they would always invite me to things, even though I would cancel or, didn't, or you know, say no thank you every single time. And, and they weren't forceful, you know what I mean? Like they respected the boundaries and they somehow knew the right things to say and, you know, how to say them and how to try to get me out of my comfort zone, but not be pushy about it. Because eventually I was going out to events with them and I was dancing all the time, you know, at the studio with them and I was doing group classes and I was doing all kinds of stuff, but it, it took somebody to be gentle and kind of hold my hand. And, and I don't know if, if some of these people know what they did, but yeah. Do you ever keep in touch with them still to this day? Do you know? I do. I do. I still, um, the receptionist, I still see her every once in a while. I haven't seen her in probably about a year because of COVID and all of that, but I do still see her and I made some good friends and, you know, we're Facebook friends. And then, um, the uh, some of the instructors obviously I'm in the ballroom world now so I definitely see them for sure that's so cool yeah you should share that with them I think I've shared it with one person two people one instructor and, and one of my friends but I'm not sure yeah because the yeah. you know it's amazing the impact that number one people have on our lives right that's like the main one of the main reasons yeah for people to overcome things just like this. But two, I was reminded of this just from just doing some research and like I'm always doing, but specifically there's um, a, a term that basically describes this connection, this bonding that humans get when they mm-hmm. move together, when they do something social together, whether they're mm-hmm. um, like uh, working on something together or sharing or exercising. And it's something I've personally noticed when I've taken martial arts classes mm. and I've noticed it in dancing mm-hmm. where you're creating this movement, you're creating something with this other person. And you can even get it in just like a room where you're not touching other people, but like a fitness class. And it's called the term that's closest it is called collective effervescence. Mm. I think it was coined by this guy called Emil Durkheim, if I'm pronouncing his name right. And it's kind of like this phenomenon where you feel this connection, this indescribable like family connection Mm -hmm. with these people who you're moving with, who you're engaging with, who you're bonding with, who you're, you know what I mean? Mm -hmm. And it is, it's, it's this thing that is there in the space when you are dancing with, with other people, when you're exercising with other people, um, when you're fighting other people, (laughs) you know, in martial arts purposes. Um, but it's transformative. Yeah. That, I mean, it makes sense, right? Because there's that, that theory that says, you know, we're all one, we're all connected. And so if we all come into the same room, you know, with the, 
with similar expectations or similar um, intentions, right? And we create something, some sort of energy or art, then I, I can see how that would just heighten everything, you know, and the connection, I mean. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Absolutely. So your social anxiety was like mm-hmm. the first thing that you really noticed starting mm-hmm. to release, yeah. starting to dissipate yeah. by pushing yourself to show up, yeah. getting out of your comfort zone to go to these social dances. Yeah. Yeah. And I feel like, I mean, just in general, ballroom has pushed me in so many different ways, you know, and it's like, oh, okay. So you're good with uh, group classes and parties now. Okay, here you go. Here's competition. What? <laughs> Hold on. I got to be in a, <laughs> in a room with a bunch of people I don't know. And I have to perform in front of them. What? What? And then that and your then, first reaction to yeah. a suggestion of a competition. <laughs> yeah. No. What are you talking about? Wait a minute. Like I've got to, okay. So I'm, I'm sure whoever's listening doesn't know me, but you know, I, I was a huge tomboy back then. I never wore makeup. I was always in a hoodie and a, you know, baseball cap and like, so for somebody to tell me, you know, you should compete. No, absolutely not. <laughs> I can barely make it to Friday night parties. You want me to compete <laughs> and put on you know, stage makeup and wear bedazzled dresses. And, no, you're out of your mind. And then here I am. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So what happened? <laughs> um, well, I've always played sports, like in high school, I, junior high and high school. I was very competitive and loved playing sports. And I think it was the competitive nature that it eventually took over where I started realizing that, oh, I'm, I'm halfway decent at this. I could, I could win. Okay. So I have to wear a dress and I have to wear makeup, but I have to be an athlete at the same time. That's interesting. Okay. Okay. I'll try it. I'll consider that my uniform, right? When you play basketball, I played basketball in high school, right? Yeah. So I think, I think it was the competitive nature. And then that just, I think, the competition part of ballroom was what really just, you know, the, the Friday night parties and social anxiety was the first step. The competition was the, basically the thing that opened the door to everything. Because when you talk about performing, you talk about expression of emotions. Well, how the hell do I do that? How do I express my emotions when I can't even figure out what the heck's wrong with me? That took a, you know, a lot of growth, I think. And I'm still, I'm still trying to do it. I'm still trying to uh, be vulnerable when I perform. And I think that's the hardest part and getting in touch with the emotions for performing, but which is such a, which is what is that like maybe X factor Mm -hmm. that you don't even realize Mm -hmm. that that person is embodying when you watch somebody that can't take your eyes off of. Um, Right their thing whether it's ballroom dancing or another form so the competitiveness once you get a taste of that that's what really had you jump all in yeah um, and as you now you've been doing how long have you been competitively ballroom dancing since the end of 2013 so that's what eight eight ish years and even in the three or four years i'm not even sure how long i've known you uh-huh. your level of 
it's not the dedication level. It is the just depth of what you're bringing from like Liz, like the person mm-hmm. into, like you said, like into the dancing, into the performance um, and the layers of yourself that you've discovered mm-hmm. through continuing to show up and challenge yourself by putting yourself outside of your comfort zone, by pushing your body physically, by pushing your body mentally. Mm-hmm. Um, like you've transformed so much um, just for the short time that I've known you, which has been so cool to watch. I don't know if I've ever told you that, but it's been yeah. inspiring you. for me to watch. Thank you. Well, I, I can say the same for you. You've transformed a ton too in, in the little bit of time that I've known you as well. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Thank you for that. Yeah. People you surround yourself with. Right. Birds of a feather. Mm-hmm. I'm telling you. Yeah. yeah. I, you know, I feel like now I've finally got just the right team of people around me, you know? And yeah. And you've worked hard to fight for that team, to search for that team, right. to level yeah. up yourself, to be in the room of that team to see yourself as worthy to be in the room of that. Right. Oh man, that's a struggle all in its own. Oh, like, am I good enough to dance with this person, to be coached by this person to Mm -hmm. that? Yeah. Yeah. And that's, you know, that's still something that I struggle with. I think, um, I'm, I'm working on it. I think I've gotten better, but, but yeah, it's really hard to treat ourselves the way we would treat our friends and be encouraging to ourselves sometimes, you know, and, and tell ourselves that we are good enough and we are capable and we're deserving of what we want. You know, it is a work. It is a daily work. Yeah. Um, and I think these things like for me, movement for you, like, I'd love for you to describe like the feeling that you get when you're dancing, like the identity that you connect with, the version of who you are that you connect with when you're dancing, because I feel like that is the thing that reminds you and keeps you coming back. You're like, well, it's, there's still that at the foundation, like as much as you love to compete, Mm -hmm. would you still be dancing if you weren't competing? Yes. And why is that? Like, what does it give you? It's, I don't know how to explain it. I feel like it gives me strength and it's my sanctuary because for, you know, speaking about competition or, you know, if I'm dancing at a party or whatever, for that minute and a half that we're doing the dance, there's nothing else around me. It's just me and my partner. And it's all about that moment. That's what it is. You're in the moment, right? You're not worrying about the past. You're not worrying about the future. You're just in that moment. And when you're in the moment, it's just, I guess in a way it's peaceful. It's calming. It's, I can relax for that one minute, even though I'm not relaxing, right? (laughs) Even though my body's doing all these other things in my mind, I'm like, oh, just for a moment, I don't have to worry about my bills, (laughs) right? (laughs) You're just flying. You're, you're just free, floating in the moment on the yeah. dance floor. Yeah. And you tap and into different parts of you. Yeah. Yeah. You know, in tango, I can be angry. I can be more forceful. And I guess it's also, it's also a release, right? Absolutely. Mm-hmm. Sorry, that's my dog. Somebody just came to the door. 
<laughs> he wants to be on the podcast. Yeah. How would you describe like the impact that ballroom? I mean, we're, we're talking specifically about ballroom because it's been like mm-hmm. the major thing in your life, but you do do other forms of movement. But in general, mm-hmm. the impact of this on your mental health, on your PTSD, um, where are you at with that now? Where am I at with it in what sense? Like in your struggle with it as compared to before you walked into that first oh, oh I'm a, I mean if you knew, knew me back then I'm a totally different person yeah I mean even in this last year I've I feel like there's been a lot of growth emotionally right um I feel like I'm able to in a situation that would normally make me reactive I feel like I'm able to <laughs> finally behave like a normal human being and step outside of the situation and look at what's going on and either not react or react appropriately right and I'm able to handle myself a lot better is that the biggest change that you've seen in yourself just like from some of the symptoms you described before I think that and the cycles, you know, because anyone who's experiencing depression or anxiety or any kind of mental um, issue, you know, you know that it goes, comes and goes in cycles. And I've noticed that, um, how do I word this? Uh, That the, I guess the upswing uh, lasts a lot longer than it used to. And the low moments are very short. They used to last, you know, months. And now it's, if, if I feel depressed or whatever, it's, you know, a day or two. And then I'm able to um, get a little introspective, let myself feel it and, and let it go. You know, it doesn't go away. It still comes, but I think I'm just better at handling it mm. so that it doesn't stay with me for months. Mm. What do you do to handle it that's better now on those days where you feel down, depressed? I think it's not always the same thing, but I think for me, the part that I used to struggle with would be to feeling the emotion and doing whatever I felt my body needed and just letting myself experience it. You know, because I think when we feel when we're going through cycles and we feel the depression or the anxiety or whatever it is, the anger in the back of your head, you're like, I don't want to feel this. I want to try to distract. I want to push away. I don't want to feel any of this. Right. And, um, I, I guess that's what the biggest change is, is that now I'm allowing myself to have room to just experience it. And if it means I need to take a day off of work, then I have to take a day off work and I'm okay with that now. I never used to be. There's less resistance. Mm -hmm. And in the surrendering, it sounds like you're able to meet yourself where you're at. Yeah. Which is way, which is a release inside of itself. I can relate to that feeling. Yeah. I feel like that's something that I got from you actually, you know, because I read your posts all the time whenever they pop up on Instagram. And some of them really resonate. And it's funny how some of them really, really resonate just at the time that you need it, right? So yeah, it's just the reminder of allowing yourself to feel and not being afraid of it. 
I had a question that I wanted to ask when you were talking about letting yourself feel whatever it is. Um, oh, I remember. Do you notice if you, you're like your experience of feeling joy feels different than like now compared to even, you know, a few years ago, 10 years ago, 15 years ago. Um, do you notice any difference in that? I don't want to like lead the question. So I just Mm -hmm. am curious. Um, I think that I used to anticipate whenever I would feel joy, I used to anticipate the badness coming. And so in that regard, I think that I'm able to fully experience joy now without being afraid of what may or may not come after my feeling of joy. I think it's super insightful. I like how you put that. I was asking because I feel like I experience a greater capacity to feel joy. Mm-hmm. Um, like when I am feeling really happy or uh, joyful about something like it's a full body experience. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's like bigger, like, I feel like my energy is bigger mm-hmm. than I can remember feeling even a few years ago where I would have considered myself recovered from depression, where it wasn't, you know, it wasn't something I was experiencing on a daily basis anymore. And, but I really like how you framed the perspective of you're not like you're giving yourself permission to feel that joy yeah. without the fear of something's around the corner. And so I need to hold it back. Yeah. Because if I let myself feel it fully, then the drop is going to be even harder. Yeah, exactly. The drop is hard no matter what. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. The drop is hard yeah. no matter what, but you also always know that you can get back to this. Mm-hmm. You can get back to that um, feeling of peace and joy. Um, and so you don't take it for granted. You, you let yourself feel it fully. Yeah. Yeah, totally. So what is for like, what's in your future for ballroom? What's on your, your dream list when it comes to ballroom competitions? Well, I'm trying to find a professional partner at the moment so that I can compete professionally. I think that's the next step. And that is not easy to do. No, I think there's going to be a lot of more growth. This is what I mean. Like when you think you've leveled up and you're good to go, ballroom's like, nope, here's something else. Mm-hmm. How much do you want to grow? Here you go. Mm-hmm. You know? Oh, so you want I, more? I, yeah. Here you go. Yeah. <laughs> Happy to help you with that. Yeah. Um, you, you open one door and then it leads you to yet another door. And it's just, yeah, I, I know that this next step will, will be tough and it will push me to grow more. Um, I don't know. I think I'm ready. Oh, I'm glad because I know you're ready. (laughs) (laughs) What is it that you're looking for in a partner? Ideally someone who I can grow with in, in dance. And, you know, there's a psychological aspect of dance. It is a sport, right? So there's sports psychology involved. And when you're in a partnership, you have to treat it as a relationship. And, you know, I'm not, I'm not looking to date anybody. I'm happily married, but I do understand that our, whoever I'm partnered up with, you know, we have to be tight because we're a team. And, and so I don't want to be with somebody who feels like they've already reached the maximum 
you know, I want to, I want to be able to work with someone who is open, open-minded in a, a bunch of different aspects, not just dance, because it's going to take a lot more than dance ability to have a successful professional partnership. So, yeah. Oh, so well said. And um, the type of dance, the type of ballroom dance that you want a professional partner in that you compete in is what? Just describe that for the listener. So I dance in a style that's called American Smooth, and it consists of four dances, which is waltz, tango, foxtrot, and Viennese waltz. And it's super athletic because we are not just staying in frame all of the time. We're being thrown around and yeah, it's a lot of fun. And you do wear the sparkly dresses. I do wear the sparkly (laughs) dresses and I wear the stage makeup. I get my hair done and all of that stuff. Yeah, all of the things I said I would never do. What's your favorite dance right now? Man, I feel like it changes because it used to be the Foxtrot, but I feel like now it's tango. You were going to say that? Mm -hmm. And that was the one, I think I asked you at over a year ago and you were like, yeah, my favorite. And I asked you why, and you're like, because it's the one that challenges me the most. Yeah. Yeah. What made it change to your favorite now? I, I don't know. I don't know if it's, I feel the most confident in it, I guess. And you know, what's funny is I tango. I really enjoyed tango in the past as well. It was just the one that would always get marked the worst out of all of them. Um, but I think, I think that now, you know, with the coaches that I have, I'm, I'm beginning to understand a lot more about the dance and how to create certain movements. And I don't know, I think, I think there's just a deeper understanding and am I amazing at it? No, but I'm definitely having fun, uh, discovering the different aspects of tango. And, and I kind of like that. It's, you know, it's the, I don't want to say it's the angry dance, but it's the more, it's the more passionate dance, right? It's super passionate and powerful. Yeah. Yeah. Powerful. That's exactly it. Yes. Powerful. I'm going to ask, would you send me some clips of you dancing so that I can put them in the promotion for this show? (laughs) I want people uh, to see you dancing. Yeah, but the videos never come out as good as we dance in person, right? Because it's it's two-dimensional, whereas in person, it's three-dimensional. Or okay, we'll all take that yeah. into consideration. The video. <laughs> I'll try to find some videos. Uh, and if not, I've got more competitions coming up. So I'll send, I'll see what I can find. Thanks. So last question. Yeah. And it would just be, what would you like to tell your younger self? Um, just like a drop of wisdom that you know now. Hmm. There are a lot of things that, yeah, there are a lot of things. Um, I don't know, I guess with all of them, basically that you have the answer to every question that you have within yourself. Every question, whether it's how do I deal with this? How do I do this? What am I supposed to do next? You know the answer to it already. And you, you know, you are right, you are strong, and you can make it through all of these tough things, you know? That's 
that like gave me chills when you were saying <laughs> especially the part about you have the answers to all the questions that you have like even now yeah that's true and it's I forget all there that, you know um but yeah that's yeah that is definitely wisdom that comes from experience yeah um thank you so much for doing this for your time yeah, no problem for your openness um I know it's not always easy to like go back to a place that we have worked from, but um, I think you share the same view as me that if you can reach somebody or help yeah. them yeah. in some way by sharing your story, which is what this podcast is all about, that yeah. it's worth it. Yeah, exactly. That's if, if I could just help one person, you know, and tell them it's going to be okay, you're going to be just fine and you are strong enough to make it through, you know. Absolutely. Yeah. Well, thank you so much. And um, I'm excited for this episode to come out. Uh, is there anywhere that you would, you know, if you want people to get more information either about ballroom or you that you want to put out there? Um, if anybody wants to reach out, they're more than welcome to. I have um, a Facebook page um, and, you know, they're definitely able to send me messages on there it's you know elizabeth thompson without a p so t-h-o-m-s-o-n and you'll see a picture of me in a bright red dress my, my ballroom gown um or instagram I, I think my instagram is public so you know people can always reach out there as well okay great i'll put the links in the yeah. description for the show all right thank you liz so so much Thank you so much for listening to my conversation with Liz. I hope you got value out of it. And if you're like me, you probably have been jotting down some thoughts while listening. But here are a few takeaways from our conversation. Post-traumatic stress disorder, or PTSD, can occur after you've been through a trauma. A trauma is a shocking and dangerous event that you see or that happens to you. PTSD can happen to anyone, not just military veterans. It is not a sign of weakness. A number of factors can increase the chance that someone will develop PTSD, many of which are not under that person's control. About 10 of every 100 women develop PTSD sometime in their lives, compared with about 4 of every 100 men. And concerning military veterans, about 11 to 20 out of every 100 veterans who served in the war in Afghanistan or the, war, the Iraq War, have PTSD in a given year. Seeing your own struggle is often difficult at first, so trust the people you love around you to help you if this is something you're having a hard time accepting. Follow the things that do light you up, no matter how small or nervous you might be to try it. Sleep is so important to our mental health and overall well-being. It's just as important as food, water, and movement. DM me if you're looking for more information on how to work with somebody to improve your sleep habits in natural ways. There's many levels of recovery, so take it one step at a time and start by walking through the door. Don't discount letting yourself feel emotions, the full spectrum of them. Don't discount the impact of a supportive community or giving yourself a purpose and routine every day. Don't discount what a focused, competitive, or not can do for the mind and how growth and stepping out of your comfort zone can transform your life over time. Acknowledge your wins and your transformations along the way. 
And last but not least, the answers to what you need are within you. Continue to do the work of connecting deeper within yourself to discover what is best for the truest version of you in this moment. Thank you again for listening, and I will see you here next Monday with another episode of Wake Up Your Warrior. Have a wonderful week. See you then, warriors.